0: This is The Hindu on Books, a weekly podcast from India's national newspaper on the latest and the best from the world of literature. Welcome to The Hindu on Books podcast. I'm Mini Antika Chibba from The Hindu Metro Plus. For the latest episode of the podcast, we have the international movie star Kabir Bedi speaking about his memoir, Stories I Must Tell, The Emotional Life of an Actor. The book is a brutally honest thrill ride into Kabir's journey from Delhi to Mumbai and the world. A marvellous peak into a time when international phone calls had to be booked and the amount of foreign exchange that could be carried was strictly regulated It was a time of parties with Audrey Hepburn, Vittorio De Sica, Michael Caine and Sean Connery. The book looks unflinchingly at Kabir's greatest triumphs and heartbreaking trials. While we follow Kabir on his success in Europe with Sandokan, his bold and beautiful success in Hollywood, and his blockbusters in the Hindi film industry, Kabir is equally honest about his tumultuous relationships with model and odyssey dancer, Pratima and actor Parveen Babi. Hi, Kabir. Welcome to the Hindu on Books podcast.
1: Thank you, Vinny. I'm honored to be here.
0: Stories I must tell the emotional life of an actor is, in one word, unputdownable. You start the book with the statement that you left Delhi because of the Beatles. (laughs) What was the experience of talking to the Fab Four?
1: It was a fabulous experience, you know, because uh, the Beatles represented not just great music, the greatest I'd ever heard, but also a whole age, the whole excitement of the 60s, the sexual revolution, the social revolutions, the cultural revolutions, people demonstrating on the streets for peace, uh, the hippies swarming uh, across the West Coast and their message across the world, psychedelic clothes becoming fashionable. It was just a time of change. And we wanted to be part of that change. So being with the Beatles in the same room was just extraordinary. How I got that interview, the only journalist in Delhi to manage to get an interview with the Beatles, as a cub reporter working for All India Radio, that's the first chapter of my book.
0: Also that they did not keep the recording.
1: This was... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> One of the tragic outcomes of the recording, I mean, how I got that interview, how I pressured and persuaded that manager to give me the interview, what happened in the interview, extraordinary happenings. Oh, that's all in the book. But as you mentioned, later All India Radio, when I went to get a copy of the recording, told me it had been erased. All India Radio was so underfunded that they had to reuse tapes and the backroom boys had no idea of the value of what i'd given them it was broadcasting gold <laughs> so this tragedy outrage in my book at the time really forced me to rethink my life i said do i really want to work with such people do i really want to give my whole life to to an organization that doesn't value things like this and that crisis point led me to a decision that made me leave daily even 700 rupees in my pocket as i've said in my book you know i found throughout life that crises when they happen seem like the end of the world but they are in fact points of power because that empowers you to change to give yourself new directions in life and that's what i found repeatedly uh, when things are down it might look like the end of the world but in fact it's opening all kinds of new doors And the choices you make at that point can set you on a whole new course. And had the backroom boys of All India Radio not been so insensitive and callous and and destroyed my tape, I might never have left left Delhi. So in a sense, I have to thank them for it, because it's a course that took me to Bollywood and Europe and Hollywood and all kinds of other things. So in retrospect, the tragedy was an opportunity.
0: True. So uh, could you talk about the genesis of the book?
1: I knew for many years that I've had a very unusual life. I've seen triumphs that very few people have seen. I've, I've faced tragedies that very few people have, have seen. And in a single lifetime, to go from such highs to such lows and resurrect myself from there was, in my mind, a great story. And I, 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 I love stories. I've followed short stories all my life. I've been in film, I've seen scripts, I've seen. So, stories is something I love. And I knew I had a good story, but I wasn't sure how to tell it. I just couldn't figure out how to tell it, because if I told it from beginning to end, it seemed boring. If I tried to put everything in it, it'd be a thousand-page book. How was I going to tell the story? So at the beginning of the um, pandemic, I had a sort of epiphany where I realized how I wanted to tell this this thing through a series of stories that which, when added up, become the total of my life. And these series go back, each story goes back and forth in time. So... You can actually read my book in any order you like because each story is complete in itself and goes back and forth in time. So that was the genesis of, of the book. When people ask me how long it took me to write it, I say 10 years of intense thinking and a year of mad writing. Uh, and that's how the book got done during the pandemic and released also in the worst time of the second wave of the pandemic. So my book is a child of the pandemic and has survived this pandemic to become a bestseller. So I'm most grateful for all the opportunities that the pandemic threw up for me, much as I grieve for all those who suffered losses of people and jobs and places and things that were familiar in their lives. For me, the pandemic was a godsend. It was a great opportunity to finally do what I needed to do. And having the time to think about it gave me the time to figure out how I wanted to tell the story And I did. And I think I've got a good story to tell, a very unusual life to lead. And I think there's many lessons in it for for anyone who reads it, not just how to get success, but more importantly, how to avoid the mistakes of success and failure and how to rise above adversity.
0: Right. Uh, So you you spoke about, uh, my next question was going to be about the structure. As you say, it kind of moves back and forth. It's not, I was born here and then this happened and that happened. So why did you choose that structure and why did you choose to tell the story from the perspective of your relationships?
1: Well, firstly, I find linear stories very boring. You know, if an autobiography of a person begins with, I was born on X, Y, Z date this year, my eyes start glazing over. I really don't want to know the details of their teething problems in their childhood. I want to know the main Me to the matter. What's the story, young man? I'm also a very impatient reader. If I'm not grabbed by the first chapter or the or the beginning of a book, I just speed read through the rest of it because I just don't have the patience to. It's the job of the writer to hold me, and and I really set out to write a book that was, as you put it, unputdownable because it's very important for me to structure it in a way that just made people want to know what's in the next sentence, the next paragraph, the next chapter, the next. You know, I wanted that compulsive reading to take place. And a lot of people have used that word for my book. And I'm very grateful because that's what I intended, what I set out to do. The reason I chose the form of telling it in stories and through relationships is because, you know, the subtitle of my book is The Emotional Life of an Actor. So I have looked at everything through the emotional prism of things. It's not just telling you, I had a relationship with so and so, and we had a few problems. I show it to you. I take you into the innards, the nitty-gritty of that relationship, in terms of the most important scenes in that relationship. So you feel you are you are in it. You you understand what it would like to be in that situation of having a very complex relationship with a very with very complex people, uh, and, and the dilemmas, the decisions, the doubts, the decisions all these things that you have to confront in emotional situations. So between a mixture of emotional, talking about my emotional relationships, I've also shared the highly evocative things that happened in my life. For instance, in the chapter on Praveen Babi, I talk about Praveen Babi and the beginnings of our relationship and our visit to Rome at the time when Sandra Khan became, made me the biggest star in Europe. And There were scenes of Beatlemania happening around me in Rome, and this was like, wow. But at the same time, there was also this other layer of having a relationship, having a very complex relationship unfold with all kinds of conflicting emotions happening. So it wasn't just the unalloyed joy of success on a different continent. It was also dealing with the emotional dynamite in my relationship at the time and often blowing up in my face. So not only was I able to talk about it in emotional terms, not only was I able to talk about it in in terms of achievement, but also gave me a great opportunity to sort of blend the two in a way that made for compulsive reading. And I thought that was a good way of telling that, that story in particular. There are many, many stories in my book on, on many people, places, and things. Uh, and those are the prisons I've used in writing it. And I think it's, it makes it more interesting. I wanted my book to be interesting,
0: <laughs> right? And uh, you spoke about the subtitle of the book. Uh, could you could you talk about the title? I mean,
1: the stories I must tell. Well, you know, there are many stories that I I, I have to tell. Uh, I couldn't put them all down because, as I said, it would make a thousand page book. So I, I took the most important stories of my life, the most transformative moments of my life, the most transformative relationships in my life, and wrote about them in great detail. So these are the stories that I had to tell because they were central to my life. There are other stories that I can tell you to entertain you, to thrill you. Some of them are in there, some of them I had to leave out. But if it was not central to the narrative of, of that particular story, there's many side stories I had to leave out. But I think altogether, at the end of it, I, I wanted to tell a story that told the truth of my life, what happened, what I achieved, what I, the tragedies that went with it. I just wanted to set down what happened in my life, and I think it's been a, a very unusual life, to say the least.
0: So, how did you go about writing it? Do you keep diaries or? Uh...
1: Well, a mixture of, of, of many things. Some things I had uh, chronicled very carefully at a certain points in my life. Other things, I had saved files and papers and letters. Because I've used letters, for instance, of my parents, of uh, my, of Praveen to me, of Prathama to me. Because I think it's very important to speak, let people speak for themselves also, and let let's see how they express themselves, how they saw that situation. And so I've been able to counterpoint that with how I saw the situation. As far as my parents were concerned, whose lives were equally remarkable, I had a lot of the source material, because three... Books have been written on my mother, and I provided the writers most of that source material along with the other family records held by the rest of the family. So there was that memory. You know, one of the biggest fears I had many when I set out to write this is, you know, maybe I won't remember enough. Then I thought to myself, okay, maybe I won't remember enough. Let me at least put down what I do remember, you know. And then in the process of putting down what I did remember, many other things came back to mind. It reminded me of many other things. And in researching some of that, I discovered other things that I remembered. So that process began. in the end, I I was glad I didn't remember everything because I'd never, never, never been able to condense it all. The way it is, it's a fairly readable 300-page book and with nice, generous type font. I hate books of small type that make me squint and read. <laughs> so I, my, my publishers, Westland, were very good in allowing me that. You know, I, I have certain, certain idiosyncrasies. I like the double quotation marks. I don't like the modern single quotation marks. They allowed me that. I don't like indented paragraphs. So they allowed me non-indented paragraphs because for me, it's visually more pleasing to see a paragraph separated clearly. They allowed me so many things. I have to thank them for so many things. They've been wonderful publishers. But in the end, I got the kind of book that I had in mind, the kind of book I envisaged. And I think I covered a lot of bases in this book. And you you get a sense of the roller coaster graph of my life, which, which took me across three continents, and what it is to live the life of an actor, and what it is to face, enjoy enormous success, and what it is to deal with terrible setbacks. I think that's that's the joy of every big story. And then also overcoming great reverses in my life. In, in my Hollywood years, towards the end of it, because of some bad investments that I made, really bad investments, I had to file a bankruptcy. It's hard enough for anyone to face a bankruptcy, but for a celebrity to face a bankruptcy with expectations of a certain lifestyle around you, children to be educated in, in, in good colleges, obligations to divorce, etc., cetera, et cetera, All those things make it extremely difficult. And how do you rise back from that? How do you do that? What inner strengths do you uh, have to reactivate in yourself? What are your sources of strength in times of stress and when the world seems black? Those are the kind of things I've, I've, I've dealt with. And to rise to the point where, in the end, the Italians give you their highest civilian honor, cavaliere, it's, it's a story with huge... Uh, human experiences in it. My book, if I put it in a word, is really an emotional experience. So it's stories I must tell the emotional life of an actor. So it's done as emotional experiences of going through all these situations.
0: Ray, was writing this book cathartic?
1: Yes, obviously it was cathartic, but it's more than cathartic. It was, in a sense, many it was revelatory to me also because I, I was able to look back at my younger self, and realize the mistakes that I'd made, things that I could have done differently, things, situations I should have handled, handled better, and to, to see that and to forgive myself for that because I did it at that time, I did the best I thought I, I could. So it was revelatory also because it showed me the journey that I had made. So cathartic, revelatory, and also insightful in certain ways because it made me realize that many of the patterns in my life, many of the that got me into trouble and also that took me into success. So it, it gave me a great understanding of myself. So cathartic, revelatory, insightful, many of these things. The book has been a very important emotional experience for me because, you know, for, for instance, when I talk about dealing with my son's mental health condition and trying to prevent my son committing suicide, those are wounds that I had I won't say healed because the scars remain, but I've come to terms with. And now I had to go back and relive those moments and recreate all the things that caused me so much anguish. And that itself was was a very difficult experience to go through. But I did it because it had to be done. I feel for all those afflicted with mental issues, and I've, you know, Parmeen also had those problems. So I've dared to come close up. But what I've realized is that equal amount of sympathy should be given to the caregivers of these people. Because in a situation like that, firstly, the caregivers normally deal with, you know, social shame and secrecy and all those things that they deal with. And they're doing their best to cope with with people in difficult situations. And they get very little sympathy and understanding. So I feel that the secrecy, shame, societal, judgment should be replaced with with compassion and kindness and understanding because they deserve that more than anyone else. They suffer as much as the person who is suffering.
0: What was the most challenging part of writing this book and what was the most enjoyable?
1: Obviously the most uh, enjoyable was, you know, talking about how I got into the Beatles, my adventures in, in, in Bollywood, And, and you know, the success I had in Europe and being on the James Bond film and Bold and Beautiful, which gave me a worldwide fan base, all those things are great fun to write about. The hard part really was the emotional part, dealing with the complexity of my relationship with Prathima, which, you know, eventually became an open marriage and what it is like for a marriage to become an open marriage. How does that happen? How does one deal with it? What are the consequences of it? Talking about that, that was hard. Talking about my situation with with Parveen and, and all that followed, even in the years that followed that led to our final breakup, that was hard. Talking about dealing with my son's condition, that was hard. Talking about my financial reverses, that was hard. All the things that involved an emotional quotient, an emotional aspect to it, an emotional depth to it, that was hard because these are things that people normally hide. And one of the reasons why people call my book so honest so frank and you know how could you be so honest is because i decided to be honest i decided to tell it the way it was i said let the chips fall where they may if they think badly of me for for having gone bankrupt if they think badly of me for having suffered this, this reverse or that reverse let them that is my life let it all hang out those are the difficult things many those are the difficult things
0: and uh, could you talk about uh, the choice of photographs
1: there's a lot of wonderful photographs in my in, in my book.
0: Yes, there are. <laughs> they're they're really nice.
1: They are because they they're not only just of me. They they encapsulate a whole time, a whole era, eras, many eras, in fact, going from the days of the the freedom struggle, which my mother and father were part of, and their association with uh, Mahatma Gandhi and Nehru and Bose. And, Sheikh Abdullah and the reconstruction of Kashmir and all those phases plus my childhood friendship with Rajiv and Sanjay Gandhi and photographs of of, of that. Very colorful pictures of me and, and Prathima as well as pictures of me and Parveen as well as there's a lot of great pictures in there But then of course the Hollywood years and the Hollywood stars and the European stars and all those happenings and all the color pictures at the end of the book. So, Certainly, it's an audio treat to see that. I just tweeted about a picture I wish I had in my book. It was one of those remarkable pictures of my parents in Kashmir standing in a photograph with Jawaharlal Nehru, Indira Gandhi, Sheikh Abdullah, Khan Abdul gafar Khan, the frontier Gandhi, holding a baby Rajiv Gandhi in his arms, and, and, and my parents, and Miridla Sarabai, and various figures, In one picture, and I I just discovered this now a few days ago. I wish it was in my book, but there are similar pictures in my book. For instance, there's also a wonderful picture of my mother with these two Tibetan lamas at the Tibetan refugee camps in Misamari. That's also a very historic picture because those two lamas, Trumpa and Akong Rinpoche, went on to become major figures in the spread of Tibetan Buddhism in, in the West. And my mother had become almost like a sort of Florence Nightingale-like figure to the Tibetan refugees, who all called her Mamila, as a term of respect. Even the Dalai Lama called her Mamila, because she was that figure. And Trungpa Rinpoche went on to found all these amazing centers in America. Akong Rinpoche went on to found the most beautiful Tibetan monastery in Europe, in the wilds of Scotland. And there they were, these bedraggled refugees, you know, who, came to our home and lived there for a a year to learn English before they went abroad so a lot of extremely wonderful historical pictures there too I can't list them all in the time that we have but believe me there were a lot of pictures uh, there but a lot of pictures I had to leave out because of the length of the the book
0: right right yeah and uh, your book talks of the ad world in the 70s here in India and uh, how much do you think it has changed and uh, how much has it remained the same
1: you know, very few, few people realize that I was actually part of the corporate world for five years before I became an actor, that I actually was the film chief of uh, Lintas and of Ogilvy and Mather, those days called Benson's, for a total of five years of my life, living a very corporate life. And the advertising business, of course, has changed dramatically, more dramatically than I can imagine. The whole fee structure has changed. All the media bank has now moved to media bank agencies. And this used to be a major part of the revenue of ad agencies, you know, not just the cost of producing the creatives, but getting a commission on money spent on in the media. All that media spending now has been largely taken away from the industries to people like you know, WPP, et cetera, that, that do consolidated buying and get better rates. So the nature of the business has changed dramatically and it's, it's a whole new world, but I had some phenomenal gurus in the advertising world alec padamsi was my boss and he was a legend in the theater world Justin dakuna was another person who i regarded as a role model and still do frank simois who headed Ogilvy at the time before he formed his own agency was another great legend ranjan kapoor who became the head of OM, shared you sat in the room across from me as an account executive so a lot of great people along the way and of course, I've maintained a lot of friends in the advertising business, even today, like Prasoon Joshi and uh, Piyush Pandey and a lot of wonderful people from the ad world that I've still kept in touch with because I regard them as such a fun and wonderful crowd. And I, I feel everyone in their life should spend at least a few years in advertising. And I must say that the training I got in advertising as a copywriter, learning how to write good copy, served me immensely well as a writer because I learned the economy of words. You'll find my book is written in a very evocative way, but a very lean way. There's no wasted words. There's no unnecessary amounts of adjectives and flowery Victorian writing. It's written in a very direct, modern way. And that I learned from advertising. I learned that from advertising.
0: Right. And so you, you've worked in film and television, radio, theater. You've done it all. So... Which do you prefer and why?
1: I am defined by what I do. My brand is that of of an actor. I always loved radio because it was where I began. And I feel radio has a magic of its own because like we're talking here on a podcast, if I talk about uh, the roar of a waterfall cascading across rocks with water bouncing off it against uh, against the light, you conjure these images in your mind which could be more powerful than any real visual that I give you. So radio has a pretty special place in my mind, but really I've moved from, as you said, broadcasting to advertising to theater acting to film acting to different industries. Uh, And now I've become a writer. And I must say I'm enjoying being an author greatly because I've always had a love for writing, but never quite got down to it. But my acting is what, what is my brand and continues to define me. And I think that helped get me known, got a lot of people curious in my book, for which I'm most grateful. And I must say, I, I enjoyed writing enormously, and I enjoy talking about writing greatly, because, you know, it's talking about myself and my my, my book. It's not talking about me doing a role and what the character's about, what the director intended, and what the visuals are like, what the music's like. This is the music of my own life
0: so you you said you enjoy writing, so would are you considering trying your hand at fiction?
1: Uh, I could do. I could do I, I I love the fiction form as well. Right now, you know the way I, the way I work is i have a I have a book which I call my I call it my notepad, but really it is whenever I brainstorm about things and I keep brainstorming all the time, I just keep writing down all my ideas. And one could be a short story, one could be a, a film I want to, to write, one can be a, a project I want to explore, one could be a skill I want to, whatever it is, I write it down. And when I say, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do? I sit down and look at that pad, and out of this morass of notes across the pad with squiggles and arrows and circles, unnecessary things fall away and, and rise. Now, I could write a fiction piece, I could write a fiction novel, I could write a series of short stories, or I could write more stories about my life. You know, I could write anything. I, I mean, I, I just don't know at this point. I, because between promoting this book, which has given me great joy, now the Italian version of my book is released in Italy. It's called Storia che vi devo raccontare. Stories that I must recount to you. It sounds more elegant in Italian. That's just released. The Hungarians are going to come out with an edition and we're talking with other publishers. So I'm very busy with the Italian promotion and release right now, which involves going on television shows, radio shows, interviews to newspapers, Vanity Fair, the, the biggest magazines, etc. Once all that settles down, then I will start thinking what I've got to sit down and write next. Because, you know, I've suddenly become a writer. I say this, I say this with great respect because being able to write doesn't make you a writer. Writers write, that's what they do. They spend a lot of time writing and having the ability to write doesn't make you a writer. Having gone through that process of intense writing for a year and finding great joy in it, I now wish to continue writing. So I now say I'm also a writer and hopefully good things will come out of that as good things have come out of my book so far for which I'm most grateful to all those that read my book, appreciated it, shared their reviews on Amazon and other forums, on Goodreads, etc. So that's something I want to carry on.
0: So so then we might be looking at a sequel to stories I must tell?
1: Beanie, I wish I could say yes. I don't. The honest answer is I don't know. There are stories which I've noted down, which I will certainly put down sometime. What I'll do next, I don't know. It could be something... It could be a screenplay. It could be a historical novel. It could be a science fiction. It could, I don't know. It could be more stories. I just don't know right now. I think by the beginning of the next year, by January, I will know what I'm going to be writing and working on. So uh, you're going to have to wait on that one. I wish I could give you a more definitive answer. Truth is, I'm looking for the answer myself.
0: What do you think of uh, have you watched the new James Bond film?
1: Alas, I haven't. Alas, I haven't. Because, you know, till the 22nd, theatres weren't open in um, in uh, Maharashtra. And since then, I've been taken, in travelling to various events to Ahmedabad, to Bangalore, to Delhi, to... I'm one of the biggest fans of the Bond genre. And for I was the first Indian actor to be cast in a major role in a James Bond film. So I love the genre, and I've always followed it closely. Uh, To be shooting a Bond film as an Indian actor in India at the Lake Palace was like being in heaven for me. I couldn't imagine a more lyrical situation. So I certainly look forward to seeing the latest, uh, latest Bond film. Sean Connery remains for me the iconic Bond. Daniel Craig comes a close second, even though I worked with Roger Moore, who I also love. But I feel Daniel Craig brought a certain, brought back the kind of rugged physicality of of Bond after after Sean Connery. Right.
0: So, uh, last question, Kabir: uh, Do you find social media intrusive or fun?
1: I know. I think social media is is fantastic. Of course, it's intrusive in some ways, but it's like a celebrity complaining about lack of privacy. My point is. If you want to remain private, why did you choose to become a celebrity? Of course, there are some disadvantages to being known and recognized. But I think the advantages far outweigh the disadvantages. And I I think what social media does in terms of enabling communication and news uh, between people is astonishing. Earlier, we were used to this kind of top-down model of information coming to us, that information comes to us from the newspapers or from television or from radio. Here, information travels laterally between people. And things like Twitter are probably the fastest way that news gets around today. They're ahead of all the regular news channels on television and ahead of the newspapers. It's a way of people communicating between themselves, which is extremely powerful. And of course, it has, has, has its downsides. But I think what we've gained through social media Is enormous because it's the power of people's thought being expressed, being exchanged, harnessed, and enormous good will come out of this on the balance. I'm a great optimist as always. My book ends with The Best Is Yet to Come, for I'm the Eternal Optimist. That's the feeling I have about the state of the world today because I think we live in the most exciting time in human history. I am absolutely thrilled by everything that's happening. I only wish that people don't lose the value of reading books with all the distractions we have um, between social media and gaming and television and OTT services and everything, because a book is such a wonderfully immersive experience. It's like having a personal conversation with a fine mind. It's sharing things at levels that is very difficult in other media to do. It's a storehouse of, of human knowledge, past and present, and human experiences. So I I, I I really hope that people don't lose the joy of reading books in the middle of all the other things they could be doing and are doing.
0: Right. So thank you so much Kabir for talking to me.
1: My pleasure, Mini. All the best, Mini.
0: Thank you for listening to The Hindu on Books. You can now find the Hindu's podcasts such as In Focus and Parlay on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other major platforms. Write to us with comments and feedback at Socmed4, S-O-C-M-E-D-4 at the rate thehindu.co.in.